0: Independence Day weekend, Redemption Church. So good to be with you this morning. There's so many faces here. I'm seeing that's great. There's people online as well, which is fantastic. Uh, some of you may have forgotten. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here that used to teach on a normal basis. But apparently for like the last month and a half, I can't even stream together like two Sundays in a row, right? It's like this last week, I had the vid. And Pastor Scott stepped in, did a great job. Give Scott a hand again. He stepped in. He stepped in. But hopefully I will be able to be around for a few Sundays more Unless I get, I don't know, like monkeypox or cooties Or who knows what I'll get in the next week or two But I'm glad to be with you this morning Now, today is a unique day, it's a reverent day So typically in my messages I like to pepper in a little humor Some anecdotal things, maybe some pop culture But I want us to approach where we're at in the Gospel of Luke today With a little bit more sobriety So I'm going to be stripping some of those typical additives out because we're reaching a point that I think is deeply um, heart-moving It is, again, reverent, and I want to make sure that we kind of enter the space of the gospel of Luke today in a certain kind of mindset that's that's the heart behind it now uh, if you have our app there's notes in the app that you can follow along with if you've never downloaded our app it's super cool there's all kinds of great tools and resources and information on it uh, and you can do that just go to your app store and type in Duval or rather Redemption Church Duval get that straight Redemption Church Duval and uh, you can get the app and you can follow along there's blanks and little things that you can fill in as we go but today is an important day And so I want to say even to people that maybe you're going to watch in the next couple of days Because uh, I know with the travel weekend and everything else Or maybe some of you that are not going to come to this till like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday I, I want to challenge you with it being Communion Sunday That you would actually take the time out Even if you're watching later in the week To take the elements of communion as you watch this Because I think there's a link between the story and the story and doing that act that I think is profound for our soul and it's therapeutic as well as theological. And so just want to encourage everybody that might watch or listen later in the week. Now what I want to do right now is give us all just a few moments to pray silently to ourselves. I'll give us the space to do that. Then I'm we'll gonna go ahead and pray and then we're gonna get right into Luke chapter twenty three. So let's go ahead and do this together. Jesus, I appeal to you, Holy Spirit, I appeal to you to move in our hearts this morning, to move in our hearts if we know you and walk with you, and to move in our hearts if we don't, that you would show the beauty and the ugly. Of What it is we are immersing ourselves in today and that we will be attentive that we will be on the edge of our seat and we will lean forward Not in thrilling anticipation, but rather in humility sobriety and dependency I pray that uh, The message today is not designed to be laden with emotionalism, but rather with uh, the the reality of love of sacrifice Uh, of submission to the will of God in such a way that that moves us to emulate what we see there because we are transformed by what you've done there Jesus and so I pray that you would prepare us in a very special way that Holy Spirit you would anoint our hearts to hear and to respond as you would have us respond and that we would be deeply touched by you not just for a moment or a day but a way that that takes us to the next stage of our journey in walking with you Jesus and so aid us and help us and show us and open our eyes and our hearts to your goodness your grace your sacrifice and your truth we ask you these things in your good name jesus amen so for the last three years yes three years we have been these sojourners in the gospel of luke and we've called this entire series the scandalous god And it's been scandalous in a lot of ways because as we've gone through the story, as Luke is giving us the history of the life of Jesus, we've seen all sorts of scandals. We've seen the scandal of God becoming a man, we've seen the scandal of this man displaying the true nature of God. And even in that, it's been a scandal because what God shows of himself is that he is a God that nobody anticipated. He defies expectations, he defies assumptions, he even defies religious sensibilities. And we've seen that week after week after week And so you see these weird dichotomies Where God who is perfect and holy and pure Comes into the landscape And it's the messy people It's the sinners that are drawn to God And then at the same time you see this same God Coming to the religious leaders The holy and there he is the critic So the unholy they want to be near a holy God And the alleged holy people They are critical of that same holy God And part of this is the fact that in jesus what you have is not simply a definition of holiness but you have a functional sense of holiness what holiness does when it hits the ground when the grits hit the skillet and life is real this is what holiness looks like in a messy world that's what jesus does and the unholy they're drawn to that Uh, but the alleged holy they're repulsed by that they're discouraged, they're despondent. they even think the actions of Jesus are damnable. And so over the course of the story what you see is this increasing animosity between those who think they're holy and a God who is truly holy and as time goes on those people that think they're holy are like we need to end his life. We need to be done with, done with him. He needs to die so they seek out his life to snuff it. Well today, We are at that apex point where they have his life They're going to take his life Right? This is the whole center of the gospel of Luke This is what he has been writing toward The greatest scandal of all the scandals in Luke's message The scandal of the cross And we as students for the last three years As we've been journeying to this point we reach this pivotal moment This apex Where all of human history is defined And its destiny is defined In the singular section of this message And so if you have a Bible You can open to the Gospel of Luke Or you can open the notes That you can follow along with this morning Because we're going to have a, a, a series of points That we're walking through To unpack this simple section That is profound, profound the world recording the ultimate scandal of all things and it starts with the first point in your notes if you're following along it starts with the arrival of the death of God the arrival of the death of God Uh, Nietzsche said God is dead the Bible says well actually 2,000 years ago is when God died but that's not the end of the story Next week, we'll see more But for today, what we need to see, what we need to understand Is that in the death of Jesus, you literally have the death of God We'll get into some of the theology in a minute But that's what you want to understand That what we have in this moment is humanity killing God That's the heart of it So religion has judged Jesus Rome has judged Jesus And even the court of public opinion has judged Jesus Last time when we were together, we saw that the crowd cried out for Barabbas The guy whose disposition was violence, and he had blood on his hands That's who the crowd wants released And they want condemned Jesus, the Prince of Peace Who is going to basically spill his blood for others So that's the scene, right? He's condemned to die So starting in verse 26 It says, as they led Jesus away A man named Simon who was from Cyrene He's an African He happened to be coming in from the countryside And the soldiers seized him Put a cross on him And made him carry this cross Behind Jesus And a large crowd trailed behind Including many grief-stricken women Now here's what I think about what Luke does here He peppers together a number of things He gives us history But he also gives us metaphor and he gives us some social commentary in the midst of it First is this guy, Simon, right? He's an African, he's an outsider He's a person that would be on the fringe but, but Jesus is always gathering the fringe In every context, it's the fringe who are coming in So we don't know Simon's story We don't know if he's just passing through We don't know if he's a pilgrim coming for the festival We have no idea All we know is that he's walking along And suddenly he's conscripted by the Romans To carry the cross of Christ to Jesus' crucifixion That's what we, we know We know very little else. So we know the history of it. Now, normally a criminal carries their own cross to their execution, but Jesus seems so weak, so beat up from the last few hours that he cannot do it, so they make this man do it. That's the history. But Luke adds this little twist, a metaphor. And the metaphor is that while in one sense there's this one event Where this man carries this cross behind Jesus as Jesus goes to die Luke changes the tense in the original language So we've talked about this before Luke writes in Greek And in Greek you have a little bit more bandwidth on the tense of words And what he does is he gives this little play And the little play is this Simon took up the cross behind Jesus And Simon still carries the cross behind Jesus Right? So there's a sense of perpetualness To his action So on this particular day This guy comes out of nowhere Suddenly he's forced to do this thing But something moves him and changes him And he doesn't just follow that day He continues to follow every day And go back to Luke chapter 9 Years ago when we were in Luke chapter 9 When Jesus said If you want to be my follower You must deny yourself Take up your cross daily And follow me so, this man Simon takes up a cross that day, but he continues to take up the cross every day and follow Jesus. And if you look in the Gospel of Mark at the same account, we see that he has sons that also follow Jesus after this. So, it becomes familial. He passes on what is passed on to him in this particular moment. This outsider, this man from Africa who is radically changed, he becomes a follower. But he's not the only one following. It also says that there is a large Crowd Now this crowd just earlier in the week said Hosanna, blessed is he he who comes In the name of the Lord, and then just about an hour Ago, they said crucify him We don't want him, that's Your crowd But then there is also women In the crowd, they're smitten with grief But they're courageous Right, they're the ones that are loyal To Jesus, so most of the Dudes that were Jesus' core group They're not on the scene there may be one john might be there. It seems that john's there at least later the rest of them have split But it's the the women who are faithful followers to the end So again, you see that jesus is the, the margins are with them. The african guy is with them These women are with them, but some of the faithful have abandoned him for the time being I love this idea that luke is always reminding us. that It's the margins who so often are faithful And they're deeply loyal But then something weird happens in verse 28 It says, but Jesus turned and said to them Daughters of Jerusalem Don't weep for me But weep for yourselves and for your children For the days are coming When they will say Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless The wombs that have not bore a child And the breasts that have never nursed People will beg for the mountains fall on us And they will plead with the hills Bury us For if these things are done when the tree is green What will happen when it's dry That's weird right That's like the worst pep talk ever Right you're following him He's getting ready to die And he said like, oh you think this is bad Just wait for what's coming That's strange What's the meaning behind this weird strange thing When you can't even have the strength to carry your cross But then you give that talk It goes back to chapter 17 It goes back to chapter 21 Where, where there Jesus says here's the problem That ultimately is besetting Israel God's chosen one has come His Messiah has come He's bringing the kingdom that will change the world But the nation is rejecting it They hear this idea of Peacemaking they hear this idea of enemy loving they hear this idea of meekness living and they go we want nothing to do with it Those things will not change humanity that makes you a sucker and a dupe and you're just going to be run over for those principles But that's the principles of the kingdom The sermon on the mount the sermon on the Plain, is the marching orders of the follower of jesus to actually tangibly change the world Israel hears that and they say no way don't want it You don't get liberty and freedom through that You get liberty and freedom by fighting, by spilling blood to rescue your own people. That's how you do it. And so they reject Jesus, they reject the way of Jesus, and his point is, you know what? That's going to burn you out. Eventually, after 40 years beyond this cross, Israel will try to fight for its independence from Rome through everything that's opposite of the kingdom, and it will fail, and they will brutalize the nation. And that's why Jesus says, man, what's coming is so bad That's why he says, you think it's bad when things are green and god is on the scene and i'm promoting mercy and love and displaying that Well, imagine when their hearts are dry and it's tender It's going to ignite and the wrath of rome will destroy you Because you didn't embrace the way of the messiah And he's right. We know this in 70 ad. That's exactly what happens, right? rome obliterates Israel Their vengeance will be shown Because Israel rejects the way of peace, as Jesus calls it, right? In fact, it's a vengeance that's even on display on this day in the person of Jesus. As Jesus is going out, it says two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And then they came to the place that was called the skull. In Aramaic, it's called Golgotha. In Latin, Calvary. But, but here, Luke just goes with this crude cranium in Greek, where we get the word cranium, right? So, so we're not sure if it looked like a skull or if this is a little bit like a, a nod to eventually what pirates did with their skull and crossbones, like, be dreaded, fearful of this place. Like, we don't know why it's called that, but anything called the skull is bad, right? You know that. You sense that. That's not the place you want to be. And it was there at the place called the skull... They nailed him to the cross. And criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So remember, Jesus said that he had to be numbered with the rebels? Well, now here he is numbered with the rebels. But he's a different kind of rebel. These rebels, probably like a lot of other rebels, thought we fight for freedom. This rebel will sacrifice himself for freedom. That is truly rebellious. Now before we proceed, I want to note a couple of things about this section that we're going into The first is this, of the four gospels, Luke is the most brief So you're going to be looking for little cues that you're used to Like Jesus crying out to God why he was forsaken Or Jesus speaking to his mother Or Jesus saying, I thirst Luke's like, no, I'm going to strip all of that down We're not getting into any of that Right? He is the most truncated of all the writers And I believe he has a motivation And the motivation is not to try to explain all the intricacies of the cross It's not to get into all the details It's not to do a deep dive He wants us all to kind of watch this event Be immersed in the beautiful, ugly, challenging, heartbreaking, heartwarming effect of the cross So he's like, I don't want to complicate it I just want it to sit before you I want you to sit within it in its simplicity and its beauty The second thing I would probably say about this Is that Jesus is hardly the only person to be executed with a cross I mean, he's up there with two other dudes, right? And throughout history, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people Based on different empires and times have been executed through the cross And some people have been executed with far more traumatic means than this And so in some ways, when it says Jesus was executed on a cross It's not like we go, oh, the cross is the worst thing And he had the worst experience on the cross ever just as an instrument of death In other words, something else is happening with the cross So it can't be just the cross is what makes it so bad But there's something else happening and it begs that question. What is the cross doing? What's happening that god is seeing and jesus is seeing and people are experiencing what's what's that thing that's going on? Well at the core We have a word for it And the word is atonement and that is the second thing in your notes at the cross we see the atonement of god now this word we get kind of fancy with sometimes So fancy that it can almost be a little bit complicated so, so I want to try to simplify what atonement means I want to strip away some of the theology for just a second I want to simplify it and literally take the exact same word The exact same letters, but sort of shift where the syllables fall So it's not atonement, but rather let's move it To see what it's really doing, which is at one mint. See, the center, amen. I love it. I think I even heard at one That's what I think I just heard. But in the at one that's what you're seeing with the cross. So what has been divided, God is unifying. What has been at war, God is establishing peace. He's saying through this activity of the cross, in this mysterious, beautiful, ugly, challenging, but glorious thing, God is bringing together what has been fractured. That is at the center what atonement is all about It's an instrument of violence and justice, sometimes injustice And now it's being converted into an item and an instrument of peace and grace and freedom Now when it comes to the mechanics of what's happening in the cross I honestly think it's murky Like if I quizzed you right now and say What exactly did the cross do? You'd be like, well, it forgave sins Go, well, how? In what way? How is it doing that? See, for 2,000 years, this has been a puzzling thing for Christians And so what you have with this so often Is different theories on, on, on what the cross is doing And each of these theories kind of fits into a box And so we have a graphic for this Literally, every single one of these boxes is a theory Some are very old theories, right? So Christus Victor, up there in blue, is one of the oldest theories that early Christians believed that when Jesus dies on the cross, he has victory over the devil who had the power of death. So the cross was particularly about defeating Satan. And that was kind of the early church view. And then there was the ransom view And the ransom view said Well, Jesus paid a ransom to the devil to free our souls And then eventually the church said Well, that seems weird that he would pay a ransom to Satan So instead he paid a ransom to God to free our souls But then other Christians said Well, here's the problem with that God was the one that held us captive Until Jesus paid the ransom to God And now we're back to God again And and so there was challenges there Some are newer theories in the old history of the church So penal substitutionary atonement toward the bottom That's a little bit newer in the history of the church As is scapegoat theory So all sorts of different theories Now here's my thing with all of these things I think they're helpful I think they're interesting I think they aid in our understanding Of a mysterious type of thing But too often in all these different theories, there's a sense of, hey, you gotta put the cross in a box and you have to claim which box you believe and that's your box. Yet I look at Jesus and that guy's like, I don't get in boxes, man. I look at the mystery of God, I look at the mystery of the gospel and you can't cram it in any one box. And so really the way I tend to look at this whole thing is this next graphic, right? It's kaleidoscopic. In other words, each of these things reveals something that is realistically true of the cross But no one can capture it all And all of them together Can't capture the whole Beauty of what is happening Now if you're curious about what those different theories are In the notes, there's a link to a, a website that just gives Kind of a simple breakdown of at least seven of those theories Just want to put that out there for those of you who may be curious But I say all of that, I acknowledge all of that I I personally own this kaleidoscopic idea Where I can get parts and yet I still can't get the mystery But there's a core of this that I look at And I hold as pretty pretty dear And here's what it is Here's the simplified Matt Boswell perspective on all of it That makes me look at the cross in awe Here you have an omnipotent God All-powerful creates everything, including us, right? So you have that kind of potency and power. And that powerful God then says, I'm going to enter the world as a weak human servant. I'm not going to come in a kingly fashion. I'm going to come as the slave of all, Paul says. So he enters into the human condition as the slave of all, and this all-powerful God submits himself to the hands of his creation to do with him as we so that is, that is meekness. That is power restrained. He gives himself to us, and you know what we do with him? We abuse him. We malign him. We mischaracterize him. We eventually mock, berate, beat, and execute him. That's what we do. So he places himself in our hands as a good, all-powerful God, and we say, we don't want you, and we don't want that, and we're going to crush you. And you know what he does in response to that? He doesn't crush his back. Right? Now now think about that for a second, right? Some of you have probably read the Old Testament. If not, you know the reputation of God in the Old Testament. Like, you go back and read that section, and he would light people up for a whole lot less. Right? Right? And sometimes we start to think, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus. Here's the reality. Here's the simple Blatant blatant reality of the New Testament It continues to affirm That when you look at Jesus You are seeing the most Perfect representation, image And collection of who the Father is In the image of the Son So when you see Jesus Jesus says you've seen the Father right? Or or you look at John chapter 1 He is the perfect declaration of God In human form So, So there's no question here He is the image of the invisible God. So what you see in Jesus is the character of the Father. Uh, I want to be really clear about that. I mean, even like in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, hey, you know who led the children of Israel through the wilderness and the desert back during the exodus from, from Egypt? He's like, it was Jesus, right? So that's that Trinity thing. Father and Son, two persons, but one in essence. It's all in there, and then I stand in awe... Because here's a moment Where God has submitted himself to humanity Humanity is executing God And what is the heart of God As he's being executed by his creation Verse 34 Jesus said Father Forgive them Forgive them For they don't know what they are doing And he says this As they Gambled for his clothes By throwing dice Now some English versions say as the soldiers um, Gamble for his clothes but, But Luke's original text Says he prays Father forgive them As they Are blowing me off That's the tie that Luke makes It's this little kind of word Play on there And so I love this because again This is the heart of God I want us to understand this is the heart of the Father And the Son is revealing the heart of the Father By praying this prayer to the Father Forgive them Even if if they don't see the need for grace Even if they don't want my grace Even if they are not interested in my forgiveness God, this is my heart for the world This is what we came to do We came to rescue We came to save We came to show grace And so he seeks grace for others Even if they don't think they need grace For themselves And so Jesus prays, Father, forgive them Because this is our mission This is why I showed up This is why I've lived This is why I'm dying To make a way of salvation And the way of salvation is needed We see that with number three in your notes The apostasy of us Against God The heart of this apostasy Is really seen in verse 38 It says, a sign was fastened above him With these words This is the king, you could put those in quotes. This is the king of the Jews. It's a bitter irony, right? It's mockery. It's making fun of him. He claims to be a king, and now look at the king that's impaled and shortly ready to die. It's just mockery. But it also captures the reality. Jesus is a king. Not just of the Jews, he's the king of the world. He's the king of the world that so loves the world he gives himself as a servant, as a slave, and a sacrifice. To rescue it. That's a real king See fake kings right at the back real kings lead at the front And he's a real king leading at the front But he's rejected and he's rejected at different levels and with different intensities and we begin to see that unfold First we see kind of a passive uh, Rejection in verse 35 with the crowd Notice how the crowd has changed a little bit It says now the crowd watched so at first they said hosanna blesses you comes in the name of the lord and then they demanded we want him crucified but now they're altering and they're kind of stumpified they're like what is this all about we keep watching the day unfold we watch his demeanor and his disposition he's asking god to forgive these roman soldiers who have brutalized him why why did we want him crucified again They're just absorbing this, they're they're soaking it in They're trying to understand what they're seeing Because he's suffering But in grace and forgiveness on his lips But then there's the rest of the cast of characters And they display malice Verse 35, the leaders, they scoffed He saved others, let him save himself If he's really God's Messiah and the chosen one and then the soldiers, they mocked him too By offering a drink of sour wine And they called out to him If you are the king of the Jews, come on man, save yourself And one of the criminals Hanging beside him scoffed So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself And us too While you're at it That's a very diverse group of people Leaders that are Jewish Soldiers that are Roman And a criminal who deserves his death But they're all in concert on one thing Jesus is to be mocked I mean, I even think about the the guy that's crucified with him Like, Like, how did that guy have enough energy to stop and mock? Right? Like, that shows just how deep this thing is But also notice that they all say the same thing Come on, save yourself If you're real, save yourself Hey, if you're the one, save yourself What I love about Luke is he loves threes, right? We've had three trials, we've had three denials, we've had three accusations, now we have this. And it all harkens back to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke with three temptations. Remember when his whole ministry started, Satan comes out in the wilderness, and he brings these three temptations trying to invalidate Jesus as Messiah so that he couldn't save the world. And among the temptations, one of those was this. Hey, jesus, let's go to the temple. We'll go up on the top you jump off And when you jump god's angels will grab you and they will save you and you can show to the world that you are truly god's son Because you'll be saved That was the temptation Now after three years satan comes back around and he's bringing the same same temptation through these three different categories Just save yourself man save yourself Make it about you, not about them Besides, they they wanted you crucified Uh, None of them like you Just save yourself Blow them off, let them get what they deserve But Jesus is resolute in his His mission Right And so he looks And he's driven by this heart Where he said earlier I've come to seek and save The lost That's what I've come for The lost who watch, the lost who mock, the lost who scoff, the lost who gamble for the last of my estate. I have come to seek and save the lost. He knows exactly what he's doing. If he saves himself, he cannot save others. So he gives himself to save them all. That's his offer. That's his plan. That's his plea. That's his drive. That takes us to number four in your notes. The acknowledgement of God for us. See, at this point in the story, it looks incredibly bleak. It looks like Jesus is making zero impact. Like everybody's against him, nobody is for him. But then suddenly, Luke tells us this cool little snippet. And I want you to keep this in mind or mark it in your Bible or highlight it in a note or whatever else Because what you're about to do is you're about to meet the very first person. It's like patient zero The first person to be converted by the cross of Christ See up to this point everybody's been a follower They're waiting to see what's going to happen But now the cross is happening And the very first convert to what Christ does on the cross Is an unlikely candidate You have one criminal that is mocking But then you have the other criminal Notice how this is in green with a little number by it and Previously we saw red with little numbers by it Right For everyone that is a hater We're going to begin to see those who offset in faithful love Says the other criminal protested He says don't you fear god Even when you've been sentenced to die We deserve to die for our crimes But this man has done nothing wrong And then he said jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom So he's watching what jesus is doing on the cross He sees the tone and the heart in which he does it And he knows now this guy is not the messiah Who's going to create an earthly nationalistic kingdom He's going to die but he's somebody different And so there's a kingdom beyond this world and I want to be a part of that kingdom and I want to be with this king And so remember me today in your kingdom And jesus replied I assure you I promise you I guarantee you Today you will be with me In paradise This is the jewish version of heaven basically And so what do you see He saves others Because he doesn't save himself He's saving others on the spot in real time as he's bleeding breathing and dying He's doing his work Verse 44 By this time it was about noon And darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock So at this point it's been about six hours It says then the light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle And then jesus shouted father and trust my spirit into your hands And with these words he breathed His last Luke takes most of this and puts it In three verses that's it Just a snippet of Things but there's layers To this and I want to Address the layers from the bottom up Like I said earlier In Luke's account there's no Why have you forsaken me words to his Mother I thirst all that Stripped away right There's been three statements of Jesus Forgive You will be with me It is finished That's it Forgive them father You will be with me It is finished And what I love about this Is what you see Is just pure resolve Pure resolve We came to do this We are doing this I have completed this Father I give myself into your hands to do with me as you will He doesn't save himself so he can save others and he entrusts himself to the father He fulfills his calling gives his life And he sets the captives free Right free from sin Free to God We see that they're free to God because of the next thing the veil and the temple is torn in two Now many of you are familiar with that maybe some of you here or online you're not as familiar So Up to this point, Israel had a temple, and the temple was a very holy special place, but it was segregated. Nobody could enter that except the high priest. There was a giant veil that blocked it off, so you had to have the right rituals and the right pedigree and be the right person for the job, an unblemished male that could enter the space and experience the full power of the presence of God. And with the death of Jesus, what God says is, we're done with that, because it's at one It's not separation It's togetherness And so he wipes out this whole idea Of segregation and separation And now everybody can enter into the presence of God And more than that Everybody can be empowered by the presence of God As they believe in the work of Christ Because God says I want you to be my temple now I want to live in you As you live in me So the temple comes completely down in, in, In practice on this day And will become rubble 40 years From this day So, that is the next layer you see. There is access to God. But what I love uniquely about this is that the span of time is very similar in pattern to another span of time in the Bible. So, go all the way back to the beginning Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. God creates over six days, and on the seventh day, he rests. And here, Jesus has been doing this for six hours. Creating a new creation Suffering for six hours And then gives up his spirit Right at the twilight of the Sabbath The day of rest So I love how God creates And now Jesus is recreating A new creation And he suffers for six But then he's going to come to rest And change everything Everything After the Sabbath This shows us that his work is not in vain We've seen that in part with a criminal That is now converted through the cross of Christ But that's not the only person We see that there's another unlikely candidate That has also changed and converted It says when the Roman officer Overseeing the execution Saw what had happened He worshipped God He worshipped God And he said surely this man was innocent You see the pattern right uh, One criminal mocks But another believes One set of Roman soldiers They scoff But a soldier believes Jesus by his cross Is reclaiming All sorts of categories That's the power of the cross To change people But that's not only the group that's being changed We also see there's a change With the crowd First they said crucify And then they're like whoa we're just watching But now what's it say It says when all the crowd That came to see the crucifixion Saw what had happened they went home in deep sorrow, right? So there's this journey they're on. They went from Hosanna to murder to a sorrow of heart. Did you know that this isn't the end of their trajectory, though? Luke is really cool. He, he has a sequel. Yeah. It's called the Book of Acts. And in chapter 2, you see that uh, just a few weeks from this time— The disciples are regathered, they're redeployed, they're fired up, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they go and preach in the exact same city, and masses of people in the thousands start to follow Jesus. I believe some of those are the same people that said, Crucify, what is this? I'm sorrowful. And then he closes the gap of the story and rescues them. Right? So Jesus is on the move in his death on the cross. Now, on this day, it's just sorrow. But that sorrow will be turned to joy In just a few weeks time Then we see in verse 49 But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee They stood at a distance watching So again, the disciples have split right? But here we see two different categories Friends and women Now what I love about the fact that it says friends Is Luke has used this word before in his gospel You know who the friends were? Jesus is a friend of tax collectors and sinners Marginal people The ones that the holy see as unholy But but they're there and they believe and they follow and they're his friends And then there's the women, right? The women that he has stood with and up for when their society did not do that They are now standing with him just as he stood with them See that's courage. That's conviction. That's loyalty. It's a motley crew That follows jesus, but that's who it is but then there is a fourth category that is touched by the grace of Christ in the cross. Verse 50. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, and he was a member of the Jewish high council. See, I, I love this for just a second, because again, we've been so beating up on religion and the Jewish leaders, you go, none of them are gonna be saved, right? And Jesus like, oh, watch this, bro. Right? Even one of their council I'm moving on that person Now this guy He had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders He was from a town of arimathea in judea and he was waiting for the kingdom of god to come And so he went to Pilate and asked for jesus's body. So again, the cross touches all sorts of persons Every category is being moved on this day as much as every category was against him Every category is slowly being changed by him And for Joseph here, this is bold. It's a gutsy move. He could lose his position. He could lose his reputation. But here's the thing. He cares more about the kingdom, the real kingdom, than he cares about his security or his safety or his pedigree. That's taking up your cross daily, denying yourself and following Jesus. And so he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon The day of preparation As the Sabbath was about to begin And so the sun is setting Once it drops below the horizon They can't do any more work So they hastily take the body down Wrap it in linen Put it in a tomb They can't even properly prepare him for burial They just shove it in there and they're like, okay, it's going to be Sabbath, and then after that, it's going to be dark, and then after that, it's finally going to break in the early morning light of Sunday. We can come back, and we can deal with the process where there's a series of steps of decomposition that they go through, and the first is anointing their body, and then it goes through these different shelves and different steps, and we'll get to that on Sunday morning. That's the plan, but they just shove them in there for now, get it settled, seal the tomb. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed, and they saw where the tomb was, where his body was placed, so they know exactly where to go, go Sunday morning. And then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. By the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. This is a weird little additive that Luke puts in there. It's like they go back to what they know. They just experience this amazing day of sky goes black, and All these events And then they just go back to Well I guess we're going to go do the law Not really realizing that what Jesus did that day Radically transformed how they will Ever interact with the law again And on this Final Sabbath For them Little do they know a new Sabbath is emerging A Sabbath That is not one day of rest But a Sabbath that is an everyday rest in the grace and love and life of Christ. They don't even fathom how this is the death of the Sabbath so that they might enter into a whole new Sabbath. Rest for the world and rest for the weary, rest for the broken down, and rest for all souls everywhere who see the power of the cross of Christ. Right now, I just want to give you an encouragement If you follow Jesus, you embrace the cross Realize the power that is in you Realize what he has given to you Realize what he has done for you Don't live in defeat, don't live in frustration Live in confidence and hope and joy and victory Because that's what he's come to do He took it on himself So he could give himself to you Now maybe for those who are watching or in the room And you go, I'm not a Christian, I don't follow Jesus Maybe this is the day you want to do that that you've heard the story, you've seen this heart, you've seen this sacrifice, and you go, man, if, if he's done that for me, I, I want to know him. If he died for me, if he died to free me of my sin, I want to know him. Man, if that's your heart, it's a prayer away. It's just a relinquishing God. I've sinned, I've been against you, I want to be for you and with you. Enter my life, change me, make me a new creation. Because that is what you did through the cross. Right now, I just want to encourage all of us to bow our heads. And I issue kind of that challenge of prayerfulness that maybe you are a follower, but you feel defeated. Right now, just go to Jesus and be like, I want to live in the victory of the cross. You suffered, so I might be free. Maybe it's just resetting your life a little bit in that space or maybe again, you're not a Christian You're not a follower of Jesus, but you want to do that. We say here all the time life is better with Jesus not easier Not simpler better deeper. There, there is a joy to be found And and if that's where you're at and that's what you sense you simply just go to God and say God rescue me Forgive me from my sins. I want to follow you Jesus We all are in desperate need of you every day. None of us have arrived, not even close. That is why the cross. You put yourselves in our hands. We rejected you, but you did not reject us, but you died for us, so that we might live unto you, through you, and for you. Jesus, if anybody prayed just as a believer to to help them be stronger, to live in courage, and and live in victory, I pray that you will reinforce that in their lives. For those who may have prayed, I want to follow you, Jesus. I pray that man that grabs hold in powerful ways in their life And I pray that we are faithful stewards of what your kingdom is all about that we would live the essence and heart of your kingdom and all that we do And jesus even today as we stop to remember your sacrifice and communion how beautiful is that? The day of the cross is the day that we take communion together I pray that we remember your blood shed your body given for us To free us and make us different in you Jesus we love you and we thank you in your name Amen